If you have a Bible, please open it at Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. And if you just joined us, this is broadcast number 19. This is our number 11. And my goal for the next probably 18 months or so has been to work through the book of the Exodus written by Moses and along the way attempt to profile Moses. Moses is like the Messiah. Both were nearly killed slash murdered when very young. Both have gaps in the early years. And on top of that, both would save and deliver their people. Moses died for his own sins and his people, whereas Jesus died for the sins of his people and the world. So many similarities between Moses and the Messiah. Exodus chapter 9 Exodus chapter 9, look at verse 1, please. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. So Pharaoh is very similar to Satan. Pharaoh had the Jews in his grip, if you will, whereas Satan has the world and all unsaved people very much in his grip. And of course, Moses, again, is a type of the Messiah. Moses will deliver his people from Pharaoh. The Messiah will deliver his people from Satan. The Messiah will buy back his people. And here, Moses is once again granted an audience with Pharaoh. And he is making it very clear how the Lord God of the Hebrews has declared to let my people go, that they may serve me. So you get saved, and you are saved for service, of course, and you are expected to serve the Lord, and many times we don't serve the Lord like we should. Many times we don't live up to the Lord's expectation for us, but by the grace of God we are saved by our faith in the precious blood of the Lamb. One more time from verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Triune God, Go in unto Pharaoh, and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me, Lord God of the Hebrews, not Lord God of the Gentiles, not Lord God of the Catholics, Protestants, or fundamentalists, evangelicals. This is the Old Testament. And if you wanted to be saved back in the day, you'd have to do so via the Mosaic Covenant. Look at verse 2, please. For if thou refuse to let them go, and wilt hold them still, behold... The hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous murrain. Keep your hand there and go to Acts chapter 13. Hand of the Lord, a symbolic term. And just for the record, God the Father doesn't have a body, and God the Holy Ghost doesn't have a body. Only God the Son has a body. Acts chapter 13, please. Scripture with scripture. Acts uh, chapter 13. And this term is found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, look at verse 9, please. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert? The right ways of the Lord, very similar language to Moses and Pharaoh. Look at verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, 
not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Hand of the Lord, in the context concerning the triunity of the Lord, and triunity means three, three in unity, one God in three persons. But here, Paul, like Moses, has the sign gifts, because Paul, like Moses, was a Jew. Look at verse 12, the whole purpose of verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. Verse 12, Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 9. So this is one of the reasons why miracles take place in the word of God. So people would see and believe. What do they say? Seeing is believing. Jesus Christ would do miracles like no one else ever did. And time after time, it says the common people heard him gladly. The faith of the apostles would be increased. The devil was shamed. And here, 9.3, one more time. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field. Upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. Now hold it there. If you target a country's livestock, you will cripple such a country. There shall be a very grievous murrain. Murrain means an infectious disease normally affecting cattle. And if you think of an infectious disease affecting cattle, you know that, number one, it is contagious. Number two, it is fatal. If you cast your minds back to 2005, when Hurricane uh, Katrina hit America in the deep south, was it Mississippi or Dallas, Texas, New Orleans, I think it was, that was brutal. Many people were uh, dislodged. Some lost their lives. And during the awful event, there was an arena which housed people for a week or two. Awful, awful things took place in that arena. Rapes, murders. I mean, the worst type of debauchery you could possibly imagine. But what came out of that awful event started off as something good. The British government decided to send millions of meals Millions of preheated, pre-cooked meals to America and the uh, Royal Air Force flew out millions of meals on the orders of Prime Minister Blair to help out the Americans that were starving. Uh, When I say starving, they were suffering, maybe not starving, but they were suffering. And those meals were sent to take care of millions of people that were without home. They were struggling to get back on their feet. And you remember George Bush was uh, criticised for not landing He flew over it, Uh, he flew over the disaster zone in Air Force One, and he was severely criticised for that. But Britain said this, Britain said, let's do something for the American people. Let's help the American people. Let's send meals out to America. And that may sound somewhat strange, as America is still the most wealthiest country on the face of the earth, but Britain wanted to help out her closest ally. Well, those meals were packed, those meals were posted, those meals were dispatched to the uh, sites of Hurricane Katrina, only to be refused entry. And you ask the question, why would that be? Well, because of mad cow disease. The American government, quite uh, wisely and quite uh, correctly, said uh, we can't allow this food into America. It may may have uh, components of mad cow disease in it. Go back 10 years before that, make that 12 years before that, early 1990s, Britain was hit with mad cow disease, And millions of cattle were eliminated, destroyed because of that contagious disease. And you may remember that if you live in the UK. 
And to be cautious, the American government quite rightly said, don't let it into the country. And this is something which affects a lot of people when it comes to whether or not to eat meat. And I'll discuss that in a few more moments. But here, verse 3, the hand of the Lord, picturing judgment, is upon the cattle in the field, upon the horses, the asses, the camels and the oxen, and also the sheep. So if you want to cripple a country, just take out the livestock. Just eliminate the livestock. No country can survive without the, uh, the livestock. And here the Lord is warning Pharaoh. He is warning Pharaoh that if he doesn't allow his people to go in the context, the chosen race, the Lord Almighty will destroy Pharaoh's livestock. And as a result, cripple the country, cripple the economical structure, cause starvation, famine. Also be aware of this, that the bull in Egypt was considered sacred. So therefore, the bull, which comes under the category of cattle, because it was considered sacred, quote-unquote, to start to kill bulls all over Egypt would send shockwaves uh, throughout Egypt. If you think of pagans, if you think of animal rights people, they're very much into animal rights. But like we said over the years, if you are a Buddhist, you can't uh, eat meat because of reincarnation. If you are a Buddhist and you sit down one evening and enjoy a steak or any kind of a meat meal, you wouldn't do so because it could be your late grandfather, your late grandmother, it could be your brother or sister, son or daughter, and therefore as a Buddhist, you have to be a vegetarian, a strict vegetarian. If you are a Hindu, animals are sacred to you. If you travel around India and you see a herd of animals coming your way, it could be goats, it could be sheep, it could be cows, it could be any number or any type of animal coming your way, you put the brakes on, you allow them to pass. If you were to hit one of those animals, the police would be called, you'd be prosecuted. And yet, just Google all of the rapes that are going on in Egypt, excuse me, that are going on in India at the moment. Rapes all over India. Children are being raped. Women are being raped. Boys are being raped. Men are being raped. And for the most part, nothing is happening. There's no... uh, appetite for prosecutions and when prosecutions do come they take years years and years and years and if you have a good lawyer that lawyer will get you off but if you bump into an animal if you kill an animal or if you cripple an animal in india look out and also they have the rights of way look at verse four please and the lord shall sever between the cattle of israel and the cattle of egypt and there shall nothing die of all that is the children's of Israel. So from 8.23, the Lord puts a delineation between the people of God and the people of Pharaoh. And here the delineation concerns the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. You're either saved or unsaved. You are either for the Lord or against the Lord. But one more time, if you were an Egyptian back in the day, you considered the Pharaohs to be sacred, and that term, sacred cow, comes from the Egyptian world, you wouldn't dare speak out against the pharaoh, you wouldn't speak out against animals, you'd be very careful uh, how you treated animals, because one more time, animals were considered sacred, holy, like the Hindus, and a Buddhist today, like I say, will never eat meat, because the fear would be that perhaps they are eating one of their loved ones, that has died, and has been reincarnated, and as such would be an abomination. Verse 5, and the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. If you think of the Israeli Defense Force, they've been fighting 
They're enemies since 1948, and tomorrow Israel is 70 years old. And a happy birthday to Israel. And if you think of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, they are probably the most sophisticated fighting force in the Middle East. Very powerful fighting force. They've been attacked many times over the years. The first main attack which they experienced took place in 1947, 48. And due to uh, General Wingate training them up, helping them out, they were able to repel an Islamic attack. And they did so using weapons from the First World War. But here's the thing. When you think of the IDF today, if you think of any incident going back over the last 10, 15 years, they will give an advance warning. They will notify people that, number one, they are on their way. Number two, to get out. And yet, if you think of Hezbollah, if you think of Hamas, they don't give any advance warning. They just kill people indiscriminately. Whereas the IDF are very careful who they target. They don't just go in and blow people up for the fun of it. They give warnings, advance warnings, sometimes an hour in advance. If you think of the Troubles back in Northern Ireland from 1969 right up until 1999, Britain dispatched many British troops to the troubled areas of Northern Ireland. First of all, they were sent to protect the Catholics. And then the Catholics turned on them, thanks to the IRA and the British troops were uh, under great attacks and they were in their bunkers uh, behind uh, barbed wire, if you will, very much on the defensive. But those brave British soldiers were very careful who they would target, wouldn't just shoot people willy-nilly. And yet I saw a report yesterday which made my blood boil. I saw a report yesterday that the British government are wanting to prosecute brave British soldiers that were dispatched to Northern Ireland from 1969 right up until 1999. And yet 90% of the deaths that took place in Northern Ireland came uh, via the terrorists. Could be the IRA, could be the UVF. Just 10% were down to the British Army, the uh, Royal Ulster Constabulary, as they were known at the time. Now they're referred to as the Police Service of Northern Ireland. And some of these men are now in their 70s and 80s, and they are facing arrest and potential prosecution. And I say this, that the British government should be ashamed of themselves. I would say this, offer those men an amnesty. The war is over, as they say, and yet to the absolute disgust, and I am disgusted to have to say this, the British government are seriously considering prosecuting British soldiers who didn't just kill people, like I say, willy-nilly. They're very careful what they would do, like the IDF, the best trained soldiers in the world, fighting a terrorist organization. But here, verse 5, the Lord has appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. Number one, he's giving Pharaoh advanced warning, like the IDF, also like the British army. Number two, he wants people to repent. He wants Pharaoh to come clean. If you think of the African National Congress back in the 1960s and 70s, leading into the late 1980s, they were putting bombs all over the place, blowing up railway stations, and those bombs were lethal. People were killed, maimed, nail bombs. bombs. And I've seen documentaries over the years of people that are still living today who are suffering the results of the ANC's orders to kill people, not just white people, but black people. And one of the groups that wouldn't support the ANC was Amnesty International because the ANC were a violent terrorist organization. And Amnesty International would only support non-violent groups. 
Look at verse 6, please, from Exodus chapter 9. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Go to Romans chapter 8. So, number one, a delineation between the Jews and the Egyptians, and now a delineation concerning the cattle of the Egyptians. Contrast that to the cattle of the Israelites. Romans chapter 8. This deals with your salvation. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 35, please. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors for him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go back to Exodus chapter 9. The IRA would sometimes give you 10 minutes warning, and 10 minutes warning is not enough to evacuate a city the size of Manchester. And if you think of the Manchester attack back in uh, the 1990s, that bomb blew up most of Manchester and caused, I think, £100 million worth of damage. How could you evacuate Manchester in 10 minutes? You can't, of course. And the British government think it's a good idea to prosecute elderly veterans, men that serve their country. It's an absolute disgrace. And I think the British government should be ashamed of themselves. But here, Exodus 9, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, uh, 6 and 7 uh, are dealing with the Lord's love for Israel and his hatred for the idolatrous Egyptians, he will give them warning time after time. The word of God says how he's not willing that any should perish. Any should perish, but how that all should come to repentance. Look at verse 7, please. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Ten times in the word of God, it says how God would harden the hearts of Pharaoh and elsewhere how Pharaoh would harden his own heart. This goes back one more time to your heart being no good. You might be saved, you might be unsaved. But either way, you have a conscience. And when you do wrong, your conscience tells you you are doing wrong. But we now live in a passive society. The churches are passive. The churches aren't going to do anything. In fact, next week, we have a royal wedding taking place in the UK. It's going to cost probably £10 million. And we have the Archbishop of Canterbury overseeing the main wedding. And we have a black bishop flying in from America next Saturday to offer the homily. Apparently he's quite a comedian. And this couple, who have been living together for many, many months, a bit like William and Catherine before they got married, they spent eight years living together. And also Charles and Camilla uh, were on and off for some 30 years, but no one cares about that anymore. And these two clerics are going to be doing a double act, like Lord and Hardy. And you won't hear repentance. You won't hear the new birth. You won't hear anything that resonates with the scripture. It's all a show. And this couple, a very, I guess, fashionable couple, very much in at the moment, will expect a good show concerning two apostate clerics. And you think, what's it all for? It's a heart issue. There are many ways to do wrong. 
There are many ways to do wrong. It's not just what you shouldn't do. It's what you should do. The archbishop should preach the gospel. He won't, of course, but he should do. His American colleague should preach the gospel. He won't, of course, but he should do. Imagine this. Imagine if Harry and Meghan said, we want Richard Dawkins to give the homily, and we want uh, Jasper Carrot to tell some dirty jokes. Just imagine that. You've got the entire world watching. This will go out on British, American, Canadian, television, the entire world, excluding me, of course. We'll be watching it live next Saturday. And tens of millions are going to watch it. The Americans will lap this up. The Americans, not all, but a good number of Americans are royal mad. And just imagine if Harry and Meghan said, we want Dawkins there. We want Jasper Carrots, an infamous crude British comedian. We want Billy Connolly there to tell some good blasphemous jokes. What would Welby say? What could he say? Or we want Bill Cosby to turn up and speak about his rendezvous back in the day. We want uh, Beyonce to turn up and do a nice sexy dance. Who could say no to it? Wearing a mitre this past week. Many Hollywood stars, many pop stars. Uh, Rihanna, I think her name is, uh, borrowed Dolan's mitre hat. And maybe Dolan was drunk, who knows. But just imagine that. Just imagine these reprobates turning up. Beyonce, Rihanna, Richard Dawkins, Jasper Carrot, Billy Connolly, and some other people that you'd all know about. Cosby. How about Nancy Sinatra? Let's throw her into the mix as well. All these people turning up, doing a big dance, a big we are the world, and just ripping, just letting their mouths run away with them. Who could say anything? Nobody could say anything. It goes back to the Hillsborough Inquiry. We had an inquiry in the UK about five or six years ago. It concerned that football event which took place back in the 1980s. Many people were crushed to death, and for many, many years, the family of the Hillsborough didn't really get any justice. And maybe five years ago... There was a public meeting at Liverpool Cathedral and Bishop Jones, a very flamboyant Anglican bishop, was the chairman of this committee. And I thought at the time, why is he the chairman of such a committee? But anyway, they had their findings. The family were invited to speak at Liverpool Cathedral. Jones was on the panel and some of the language was very heated, very uh, ungodly language, shall we say. And one of the questions was put to the media that are present and the question was asked is anybody from the sun present absolute silence and of course you know that somebody from the sun newspaper was present but wouldn't dare say so and the guy said this if anybody from the sun newspaper is here get out and i thought is jones gonna let that pass is jones gonna say forgive your enemy turn the other cheek not a bit they got very very heated but once again it's a hard issue it's a hard issue and here it says how the heart of pharaoh The heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not, he would not let the people go. So he had free will. Have you want to slice it and dice it? He did have free will. But time after time, he chose to do what was wrong, like most religious people do. And therefore, verse 8, And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sights of Pharaoh. Every time I read this verse, I can't help but think of the death camps in Germany. And we've been to uh, Dachau and also Sachsenhausen, infamous death camps. And you know what happened, of course, at those places. The great scandal concerning the Holocaust isn't just how many people went through such places. That's been very well documented. 
And you may want to argue over the figures and the ovens and what have you. But the real scandal about that whole situation was the complicity of the Catholic Church. They got away with an awful lot. And the commandants, uh, the commandants of those death camps were Roman Catholic. Uh, I think it was Poland. The uh, diocese in Poland, Auschwitz, uh, was run by a Catholic. These are all Catholic areas. People that lived in the areas were Catholics. There were Catholic churches all around the areas. I think it was uh, Patton or Eisenhower, one of the two, when he got to one death camp, ordered the commandant uh, to start digging. I mean, literally, start digging. And the commandant, I think it was Patton, said, uh, you, you will dig a hole and you, you will bury the bodies of dead people. And they all stood by, the American GIs, watching uh, this commandant, a very middle-class, respectable Roman Catholic. And he was digging, and nobody said a word against it. And if you think of what took place in Croatia, under the Ustashi, also a Catholic terrorist organization. But, what, but you won't get much from historians about that. And Patton watched this guy digging. Talk about humiliating. And he did so. He was forced to do so. I think he got, his, he got his face slapped when he first refused. But here's the thing. Why wasn't the archbishop made to dig? Why wasn't the cardinal made to dig? Or the bishops? Or the priests? Why weren't they made to dig? They were complicit. Those guys who worked in those death camps went to mass every Sunday. And they did their, their deeds and their beads. They prayed to Mary. They took communion. Those priests knew what was going on. Why weren't they put up before Nuremberg after the war? They walked it. And that's the sort of thing that really gets up my nose. We're here, verse 8. You can't help but think about what took place during World War II. Again, Tate, you have fools of ashes of the furnace. Could be Dachau, could be Sachsenhausen. And let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. This will lead up to yet another attack, another plague sent to cripple Egypt and co. But I can't help but see similarities between this and World War II. And he asked the question again. Why wasn't there more of an outcry after the war? We've all seen Goering in the dock. We've all seen von Papen in the dock and other infamous members of the Third Reich. A good number, incidentally, would go on to uh, live a good old life. I think it was von Papen who survived Nuremberg. He did, I think, six years in jail, seven years at the most. And he rebuilt his life after the war. But I don't remember seeing any cardinals present or any bishops or archbishops in the dock. I don't remember seeing the Pope in the dock. Didn't they have a contract with the Third Reich? Didn't Pius Twelfth and Paul VI sign a contract with the Nazis back in 1933? I believe they did. But you see, historians are very careful what they will tell you. And that has gone very much unreported. Look at verse 9, if you will. 9-9, and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. So, 9.9 nine speaks about Blains. Blains are abscesses, an abscess. King Henry VIII would suffer with awful abscesses all over his legs. Uh, Sigmund Freud, the great psychiatrist, suffered with crippling cancer. And also he would have abscesses, abscesses, abscesses all over his body. And the worst parts of his body was his face. And he had many operations to deal with the cancer, but it was to far gone he had a beloved dog a bit like uh, mary queen of scots and when freud's cancer spread his face completely deteriorated so much so that he had to wear a mask 
and when he wasn't out and about with his mask on, he'd be at home and he would remove his mask. In the evening, his face was just rotting away and the stench was so bad that his beloved dog couldn't be in the same room as him. The dog would just disappear because dogs, their uh, strength of smell is, I think, 10 times or maybe 100 times that of a human and his beloved dog couldn't be in the same room as him. Henry VIII suffered with syphilis and probably gonorrhea. He had many wives. By the time he was 50, he was impotent. It shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. Man and beast are going to be afflicted. The Lord is no respect of persons. Throughout all the land of Egypt, not just the proximity of Pharaoh's palace, but all the land of Egypt. Because again, if you can cripple a country, you can bring a country down. And I have a hypothesis which I want to share this morning. I wonder, I wonder if the Americans have been able to somehow collapse North Korea. And I wonder, I wonder if they've been able to blow up the nuclear test sites in North Korea. And I wonder if they've been able to do so via earthquakes. I watch a lot of news and I read the newspapers and I'm watching what is going on with great interest concerning North Korea coming in from the cold. And next month, there'll be a summit in Singapore. Who would have thought it? And I wonder this. I wonder if the Americans, working with the South Koreans, and possibly the Japanese, like special forces, I wonder if somehow they've been able to enter North Korea, or somehow come from under North Korea, maybe through some tunnels, who knows. Hamas have been able to go into Israel through tunnels. The Mexicans are going into America through tunnels. It can be done. The IRA had tunnels going from the border, from Southern Ireland to Northern Ireland. Tunnels aren't a new thing. And I just wonder, just a hypothesis, but I just wonder if the Americans have been successful at destroying North Korea's nuclear test sites and also their livestock, their cattle. Hence why North Korea are almost running to the Americans with open arms. But here, Blaine's abscesses are going to be upon men and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. This would cripple anyone. Any country, anywhere couldn't handle this. And this is being done once again to break the back of Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh, like Herod from Acts chapter 12, thought he was a god. Pharaoh, like the Pope, thinks he is God. If you take the time to profile Pius XII, for many days he would suffer with hiccups. And those hiccups would last, like I say, many days. He was exhausted. He could hardly see. He also had shingles because he thought he was God. He would say, when I speak, I speak as God. One of his titles is Vicar of Christ. And of course, the Vicar of Christ is the Holy Spirit. If you steal the glory from God, he will destroy you. And Pharaoh stole the glory of God, and the Lord is about to destroy him. Pius XII, every pope, going right back to Sylvester, has stolen the glory of God. And as a result, the Lord is going to destroy such people. Verse 10, and I'll close. And they took ashes of the furnace, and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven. And it became a boil, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And nothing could be done to stop this. Nothing could uh, stop the Third Reich as they stormed the Catholic continent. Nothing is going to stop this. Nothing is going to reverse it. They took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Now, in a sense, those death camps in occupied Europe were also done 
to number one, show the sin of mankind. Number two, to force the world to allow the Jews back into the land. And number three, to punish wickedness. The Third Reich were number one, Catholic. Number two, pagan. But they certainly weren't born again. And Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven. And it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beasts. So man is going to suffer with awful abscesses, as will animals. And again, if you think of Henry VIII or Sigmund Freud, they would be two very good candidates. Two very different people, neither saved, both sinful in different ways. Both would steal the glory from God in different ways and would go on to suffer the consequences. As a footnote, Freud was a Jew, an unsaved Jew, but Freud thought the world of Oliver Cromwell, so much so that he would name one of his sons after Cromwell, because Cromwell was pro the Jews. And if you are pro the Jews, the Lord will love you. He will bless you. If you are pro Israel, the Lord loves you. The Lord will bless you. But if you come against Israel, the Lord will destroy you. And if you think of the IDF, if you think of tomorrow being their 70th birthday, and again, happy birthday, being their anniversary, you know that they are there for purpose. They are waiting for the person, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, to return. Not all Israel will, of course, believe on the Messiah, but many will. And they've been there since 1948. They're going nowhere. And like I say, Wingate was able to train up the Israelis back in 47-48, many of whom had served in the British Army under his command. And my late grandfather would also serve with uh, General Wingate. And he trained them up. He told them how to defend themselves. They were surrounded by 200 million 200 million Muslims, and when they started to attack Israel, 1948, those brave Jews that had been trained by General Wingate defeated them using uh, weapons from World War One. How about that? Weapons from the First World War, because the Lord was with them. The Lord loves them. That doesn't mean they are saved. Of course not. They have to repent. They have to be born again, like everyone else has to. But when it comes to the land, when it comes to their right to be in the land they are greatly beloved and we'll close there and continue next sunday so we are working our way through exodus chapter 9 and last week we were able to cover the first 10 verses and i want to say a few things before we get into today's service if you think of verses 2 and 3 you see that animals are being afflicted they are being singled out as a result of the sin of the egyptians and the week before last, I was in town and I saw a group of animal rights people, mainly women, young women. And these women are torn because they are raised to believe, first and foremost, that animals are special. And it's always the case, especially with young girls. And as they grow up, they start to question their parents. And one of the questions they will ask their parents is, why do we eat meat? I like my animals. I may have guinea pigs. I may have a rabbit. I may have an animal or a pet of some kind, I don't want to eat meat anymore. And this question gets put to parents, and parents struggle sometimes to answer the questions. Well, those girls grow up, and they don't want to eat meat because they are very fond of animals. If they are a pet lover, they can't think of any worse than eating an animal. But what normally happens is this. Not only do they become strict vegetarians or strict vegans, but they get involved with the animal rights movement, which is a very militant movement, And on top of that, they go into witchcraft. They go into Wicca. And some years ago, I spoke to a sister who had been a witch. 
And she got out of that uh, wicked movement, praise the Lord, got born again. And she went to work at an animal sanctuary. And within five minutes of arriving, she told me this. She said, uh, I realized straight away that there were no men present, that they were all women, and that I was the only Christian present. And on top of that, they were all witches. Now, I don't really understand the reasons for going from veganism to witchcraft and also sometimes into lesbianism. I guess it's a throwback to certain women feeling they've been kept down. But the problem, of course, is this. If you push this to an extreme, you will also become an atheist. And I'll try and discuss that more this morning. Look at verse 5 again, please, from chapter 9. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. Go to Acts chapter 17. So when the Lord tells you he is going to do something, listen up. Uh, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Look at verse 30, please. And the times this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. So there, and this piece of scripture is speaking about the great white throne judgment. Go back to Exodus chapter 9, and the Lord has told you that one day he will judge the world like the unsaved dead, and he would do so based on his son's righteousness. You've either got the son or you haven't. You've either got imputation or you have not. If you are a young woman and you are grappling with life and you are trying to work out where you fit in, and if you are an animal lover, like I say, and are eating meat, you are torn, you are conflicted, you don't know what to do. And the chances are your parents are unsaved, and therefore as a result you will probably go the way of the world, and you will throw your lot in with witchcraft, wicca, you may dabble with lesbianism, you may become an atheist, who knows. But here, 9-3, the Lord is going to pick out the animals, first and foremost, because they are under the authority of men. Adam was told to name the animals. The animals came under his remit. And number two, these animals were worshipped by the ancient world. And if there's one thing that Almighty God detests, it is a sin of idolatry. So last week, we finished in verse 10. Let's begin today, if we may, in verse 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. It's imputation, but in reverse. If you think of that account from the Gospel of Matthew, the wedding supper of the Lamb, and a guy arrives and he hasn't got on a wedding garment, never mind Harry and Meghan's wedding from yesterday, a real wedding will take place up in heaven after the church has been removed. And we refer to such as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you could imagine arriving in glory without Christ's imputed righteousness, you wouldn't last five minutes. You'd be absolutely empty. You'd be devastated. You'd feel absolutely worthless. You'd feel like you had smallpox or something and you'd want the ground to open up. But here the magicians were unable to stand before Moses. They couldn't reverse the boils going back to the uh, affliction that Job would experience, and also Paul from Second Corinthians. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So the magicians, like the Magi's, but in reverse, or the magicians, like witchcraft or wicker or warlocks, 
were unable to stand before Moses. This is a very black and white book. You're either saved or unsaved. You're either for the Lord or against the Lord. Look at verse 12. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. So I sat down last night and also this morning to read chapter 9, and I noticed a few things. Number one, I noticed that the term heart is mentioned many times in chapter 9. I'm not sure if this is the most mentioned term of heart yet in the book of uh, Exodus, but it is mentioned many, many times. And here it says how the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. This is the first time this description is found in the book of Exodus. And when the Lord hardens your heart, look out. We were in Blackburn week before last and doing some outreach. It's been several years since we were last in Blackburn. And not long after arriving, we noticed a man, a Calvinist, who we recognized from previous uh, meetings, if I can use that term over the years. He was part of a church that used to travel the Northwest maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago. And we knew his pastor, a very colorful pastor, ordained by the late Ian Paisley, a very proud five-point Calvinist, and like I say, a very colourful, flamboyant Calvinist. And we spotted one of his members, and after a few minutes he came over to us, and to cut a long story short, this man is no longer attending this particular church, and he started to explain that there'd been a huge problem. And what we could gauge from this huge problem was the pastor's heart was no good. The pastor's heart was hard. And it turns out that the pastor was, shall we say, worshipping money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And we know this pastor, like I say. We know this guy. And we've spoken to him several times over the years. And we've had ups and downs with him. But it turns out that this pastor, number one, has a hard heart. Number two, is worshipping money. And probably number three has some other sins, which I shan't speculate. But here's the thing. This man was telling us that the church has pretty much folded, that this particular pastor had a fallout with a gentleman that we don't know. And the fallout was so bad that it caused the death of this man. He may have been the treasurer, I don't know. And that wasn't bad enough. This man's wife went on a fast In fact, it wasn't just a fast. She was unable to eat. And it got so bad, she died. She starved to death. Now, can you imagine that in the 21st century? Can you imagine being a member of a Calvinist church? A good old reformed church reared in the background or the uh, foundation of Ian Paisley, the late Belfast preacher. Could you imagine being a member of that church, tithing, and going to that church for 10, 15, 20 years? We are told that this man had been a member of such a church for a long time. And the fallout, the shock, the arguing, the bickering was so bad it resulted in this man having a heart attack. And as a result, like I say, his wife was so devastated that she couldn't eat and she starved herself to death. Well, I'll tell you something. I can't imagine Justin Welby missing out on a meal. I can't imagine Vincent Nichols missing out on a meal. I can't imagine anybody missing out on a meal. I can't imagine the preacher from America at the wedding yesterday missing out on a meal. But this goes to show you the reality, and yes, it is an extreme reality, I will grant you that, but this comes back to the reality that getting saved is pretty straightforward. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but once you get saved, 
If you join a church, your problems uh, may be just around the corner. But verse 12 again. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh in the context an unsaved pagan, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. So the Lord speaks first and foremost to Moses. The Lord speaks first and foremost to Jesus. The Lord speaks first and foremost to the apostles. And the latter group are going to write the New Testament. And for those of us which are saved, we go to the New Testament to find out what is what. And here the Lord is speaking to Pharaoh via Moses, Gospels, Jesus, Epistles, Paul. And every so often you hear people criticize this term or this doctrine of mediation. They don't like that. And I've spoken to Muslims over the years. I'm sure you have as well. And they say this. Well, we can go straight to Allah. We don't have to go through Muhammad or some third party. They are lying. They have to go through Muhammad. They have to keep the five pillars of Islam. There aren't many religious groups that allow you to go straight to their deity. Almighty God, back in the Old Testament, time after time, spoke to the people through his messengers. And here, once again, Pharaoh has heard the word of the Lord, the audible word of the Lord via Moses, and yet doesn't want to receive it, wants to kick against it. It could be that church in Blackburn, that solid five-point Calvinist church in Blackburn, had been warned via the Lord, and red flags went up, and they ignored the red flags. They were very much happy and content to uh, do religion. During our time in Blackburn, another chap came over to us that we didn't recognize, never seen him before, and we got talking to him, and he told me that he was from an Anglican church, and he was giving out tracts from an evangelical church. And Patrick quite rightly said, what an ecumenical setup. And I got speaking to this elderly gentleman, and it turns out he is sympathetic to Calvinism. He is sympathetic to the tulip. And I said to him, well, just for the record, the tulip is not scriptural. And we got talking about that. He was very defensive when I made such a statement. And I said, you need to do your own research. Second Peter 2 one says how the Lord died for those men that denied him. He died for them, and yet they still denied him. And that completely goes against limited atonement. And we had quite a conversation. I think in the end, he got a bit sick and tired of my criticism of Calvinism. Look at verse 13 from chapter 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. A throwback to verse 1. And once again, the children of Israel are being chosen for service. Back in the Old Testament, like I say, the Lord will speak to his messengers, and his messengers will speak to the people. And they would enter into a covenant with Jehovah, which will feed into the Ten Commandments. And every so often I watch debates online between certain groups arguing over whether or not we are under the Old Covenant. Never mind the Old Covenant. Take a look at the New Covenant sometime. If you've ever studied the New Covenant, ask yourself this, are you keeping the New Covenant? The old covenant is dead and buried. Christ has come to fulfill the old covenant. But how about the new covenant? Take some time to study the new covenant and then let me know whether or not you are keeping the new covenant. You might be surprised. You might be surprised. But here, rise up early in the morning because Pharaoh was an early riser. He would go out and he would go to his pool or he'd go to the river bank every morning, maybe at the break of dawn, take a dip do his deeds and beads, worship the gods, worship himself, cleanse himself, purify himself. A bit like what you read about from the Gospel of John when the 
self-righteous Pharisees didn't want to uh, defile themselves. They wouldn't go into uh, the room of Pilate. And they were standing almost outside of the door and shouting over to Pilate or speaking with a loud voice to Pilate. This man's a seditious. This man's a heretic. This man claims to be the son of God. You have to put him to death. We have no king but Caesar. The same sort of a thing. Look at verse uh, 14. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. So if your heart is no good, you are no good. And the word of God says how all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. There isn't a just man on the face of the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I was reading some tweets this morning concerning yesterday's very ostentatious wedding. The bill for the British taxpayer is over £30 million. People have been uh, tweeting overnight and making a lot of valid points about Meghan's second marriage. She would go to a Catholic school. She would convert to Judaism when she married her first husband. She walked out to that marriage. She converted last month to the Anglican Church ahead of yesterday's wedding to Prince uh, Harry, who looked very much like Henry VIII with that beard. And people have been criticizing uh, Meghan for being a divorcee, switching religions like supermarkets, and marrying her second husband. And some of the arguments uh, are valid, but I'm always minded of what Romans chapter 2 verse 1 says. Why do you judge other people? Because when you judge someone else, you've judged yourself. It's very easy to criticize specific sins like we saw yesterday, but how about other sins? I've made the case many times over the last 12 months. If you study Galatians chapter 5 for the New Testament, under the New Covenant, the Apostle Paul lists 15 sins. 15, 1, 5 sins. And nine of those sins You've never seen before. You've never studied yourself. You've never heard preached in any pulpit in any part of the world. And yet Paul says that people who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Never mind adultery. Never mind fornication. Never mind homosexuality. And yes, we saw Elton John there yesterday and other infamous people. Those are the sins that we can all spot. Those are the sins that we can all call out. But how about other sins like gossiping, like backbiting? Like I say, it's sometimes very easy to pick out specific sins and criticize and speak against such sins. And yet, how about other sins which very much go unnoticed? Verse 14 again, please. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. This is the Lord speaking. If you think of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says how the Lord, not Satan, how the Lord is going to pour out strong delusion on those that refuse to believe the truth and, as a result, take great pleasure in wickedness. 15. For now I will stretch out my hand, that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. Very reminiscent from Revelation. Revelation. Speaks about the two witnesses, the 144,000, the third temple. And was it last week or the week before last? The Americans, after a 20-year delay, 
officially recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. It has cost, I think, five to ten million dollars to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, long overdue, like I say. And no more than half a dozen countries have followed the American lead. And I'm going to suggest this. It may be in the next five, ten years, a future American president will move the embassy back to Tel Aviv. Undo it, you see. It's like Brexit. It could be that in the next two years, we will officially come out of Europe only to be taken back in five, ten years down the line. And people have been very excited this past week that the embassy has been moved, but more importantly, that America and others are recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But don't get too excited because that could so easily be reversed when a future American president enters the White House. And the same could be true when a future British Prime Minister enters Downing Street. But here, verse 15, the Lord is turning the screws, thumb screws. If you think of the Inquisition, the dreaded Catholic butchers mobilized. They came out of Spain, Dominicans specifically, and they were sent, I think it was Philip II, King Philip II sent the Dominicans, and they were the dread of Europe. Never mind Protestants or Calvinists, never mind this or that group. Once the Dominicans had been let loose, look out. And I guess the quickest way to compare the Dominicans, the barbaric uh, inquisitors, would be to compare them to ISIS, Islamic State. Catholic Jihad, Islamic Jihad, it's the same kind of a thing. If you have to force someone to submit to your God, or your religion, or your ideology, you've lost it. You've completely lost it. But here the Lord is speaking to Moses and vicariously Pharaoh and co. And you could suggest the similarities would be the Lord speaking to Jesus, vicariously Pilate, or the Lord is speaking to Jesus, vicariously Herod. And behind Herod would be the apostate Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles. But here, plagues from verse 14, pestilence from verse 15. Verse 3, hand of the Lord, meaning the power, the anger of the Lord. Uh, Verse 6, cattle of Egypt died, all the cattle of Egypt died, concerning such that were not housed or in barns or being protected, not shielded, perhaps. And some people have suggested a, a contradiction from 9.3, feeding into 9.20, which we may have time to look at this morning. But you have to understand a few things, that the earlier plague probably killed only the animals that were in the fields, not the sheltered ones. There's no contradiction in the scripture. But most people are too lazy to study the scriptures. Most people are indifferent when it comes to the scriptures. And I'm always reminded as to what a former British Prime Minister, James Callaghan, said when Princess Diana died. He said one of the reasons why so many British people, like tens of thousands, and the same would take place in America when Bobby Kennedy was shot, hundreds of thousands of Americans, and go back to Lincoln, were lining streets and cities all over America to get a glimpse at Kennedy's uh, train and Lincoln's train with the, the coffins. And when Diana died, the car carrying her corpse in the coffin, of course, was driving around the London area. I think from memory, it drove 20 miles. Tens and tens and tens of thousands of people lining the streets. Go back to yesterday, 100,000 people outside Windsor Castle flying their flags. Some have been up 
and out all night. Some have been there for three, four days, sleeping out. Could you imagine sleeping out to see someone? I can't. And James Callaghan, a former British Prime Minister, made the case that one of the reasons why we see such things is because people today don't believe in God anymore. And therefore, they have to believe in someone, something. So what are they going to do? They're going to believe in celebrities, aren't they? They're going to follow people like Harry and Meghan, and apparently Harry's wealth is 40 million. I'm told he proposed to Meghan in Botswana, an African country. Apparently he loves Botswana. Why not have the wedding there? And people are following the royals. Going back to Diana, people, like I say, were lying in the streets back in 1968 when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Go back to 1860-something when Lincoln was shot by William Wilkes Booth. Hundreds of thousands lying in the streets to get a glimpse of Lincoln to get a glimpse of Kennedy, to get a glimpse of Harry and Meghan yesterday, and yet those people wouldn't give you the time of day. And I've often made the case over the years that every Christmas, uh, when the royals arrive for their Christmas Day service, Sandrium, excuse me, Sandrium, is Sandrium, the Queen has many castles, and I've often made the case over the years, wouldn't it be interesting, every Christmas Day, you have a group of 100 diehards that arrive at Sandrium, like 5 o'clock in the morning, like 4 o'clock in the morning, like three o'clock in the morning, and in December, it's bitterly cold. Wouldn't it be amazing if somebody from the Queen's castle came out and said, come on in for breakfast, or here are some hot drinks for you, or here is a hot meal for you. It doesn't happen. Now, it would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be nice if that happened. Some of those people are elderly, but the point is this. Those people, I would suggest this morning, don't have a God, don't have a belief, and are also in a roundabout way, guilty of idolatry. 16. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. And a Calvinist will say, well, there you are, you see. The Lord chooses those whom he will, and he hardens the hearts of others. And I made the case to this Calvinist in Blackburn last week that Calvinism, in a nutshell, if you like it or not, or whether you like it or not, pretty much teaches that God loves just the elect and hates the rest. There's no love for the world. And when you say, or when you mention the word world, they will redefine that to the elect. And I made the case, this Calvinist, that God hates most of the world, and not just hates most of the world, but created most of the world to damn most of the world, and only loves the elect. But here the Lord, through foreknowledge, knows that Pharaoh is no good, was never going to be any good. And yet time after time it says how the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Look at 15 and 16 again. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth, death. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all of the earth. Well, let me say this. The Lord is sovereign. This is his world. He may have delegated temporarily the keys to this world, to the devil. But those keys, according to the book of Revelation, have now been returned to Jesus Christ. So this world belongs to the Lord. The Lord is sovereign. And like I say, he can do whatever he wants to do. He's like a landlord. If you are a landlord, you own a property. You can, to some extent, allow those that you want in and kick out those that you don't want. And here the Lord is speaking about Pharaoh being guilty of idolatry, being a type of the Antichrist, picturing Satan 
in a sense of controlling the world. And as a result, Almighty God has raised him up to bring him down. And yet saying that, it could have been possible for Pharaoh to have repented. Nebuchadnezzar would. It could have been possible for Pilate to repent. And yet we are told, based on uh, tradition, that Pilate committed suicide. It could have been possible for Herod, the first, the second, or the third, to repent. There's a case back in Acts where Paul says, I know you, Herod, or King Agrippa, I think it was, King Agrippa, I know you believe the prophets. And he says to Paul, you've almost persuaded me, almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And ask yourself this, why would Paul waste five minutes speaking to a pagan if he hadn't been chosen to begin with? But these verses in the context are concerning Moses, type of Messiah, speaking to Pharaoh, type of Antichrist. Herod, Pilate are types of the Antichrist. 17. As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. Pride is the main sin when it comes to mankind. People don't want to give way. And I caught a clip of the uh, wedding on the news last night. I didn't watch it. I don't want to watch it. I have no interest in uh, royal weddings. But I caught a glimpse of this black American vicar, very animated chap, preaching about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the cameras uh, switched to Catherine and Camilla. And they looked so uncomfortable. Couldn't sit still, fidgeting. And I thought, what's wrong with these people? Didn't Kate convert to the Anglican Church before she married William? I believe she did. Mm. Doesn't Camilla come from a Catholic background? I believe she did. Mm-hmm. Why are these people uncomfortable? These people offer themselves as Christians, right? Prince William is almost laughing his head off, having to stop himself from sniggering at some of the jokes. And yet one day he will be King of England. One day he will be head of the Church of England. And yet to watch... Such people, very privileged people, looking very uncomfortable. You wouldn't get that from any other religion, would you? If you were to uh, watch an Islamic wedding or a Jewish wedding, and I haven't seen very many, but I would suggest this, that if you were to watch an Islamic or Jewish wedding, you wouldn't see those people twitching in their chairs, would you? They'd all be saying Allah Akbar, or they'd be saying praise Jehovah. They'd be jumping up and down, worshipping their God. And when it comes to the Anglican Church, when it comes to British Christendom, it's a whole different ballgame. But here, 17, and yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. Now the Lord could have said, out. He would speak the universe into creation. This will run another several chapters. And yet the Lord is a very patient God. It says he waits, and he waits, and he waits. The patience of the Lord many times leads to the repentance of the sinner. But here, I think it's absolutely fair to say that it's just too late for Pharaoh. 18. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof even until now. Back in the 16th century, Oliver Cromwell was chasing King Charles I, And Charles I was en route to Scotland to gather an army to march on England, march on London. And Oliver Cromwell was able to mobilize 28,000 men. And they chased Charles south to north. And once he got up to Scotland, 
forced him to do a humiliating U-turn, and Charles would flee north back into the south, back into England, and Cromwell, with his 28,000-strong army, had Charles very much on the back foot, and as they got nearer and deeper into the hearts of England, hailstones, thunder, and the worst type of weather you could imagine was being sent the way of Cromwell, and some of the hail that he would experience was the size of a musket ball. We would say today, the size of a tennis ball. You can't really imagine it, can you? Not only are you travelling, I think it took him three weeks to return from Scotland to England, but on top of a three-week trip, you've got an army of 28,000 men. And on top of that, you've got the devil, the god of this world, lowercase g, attacking you with hailstones, thunder, and like I say, the uh, the size of the hail was the size of a musket ball, the size of a tennis ball. Behold, tomorrow, verse 18 again, about this time, I love the specific nature to this, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof even until now. No mention of evolution. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. We call this an advance warning. The mercy of the Lord. He doesn't just do something willy-nilly. He gives an advance notice. Going back, like I say, to the Israeli Defence Force, they will give a warning as to what they are about to do. And once they give a warning, you better listen out. I showed you from Romans 8 last week how once you are saved... Everything is good for you. You are safe in the beloved. And this morning I showed you from the book of Acts how the Lord has chosen a day in which he would judge the whole world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. But here, 17, 18, 19, the Lord is being very specific as to what is coming and when it is coming. And 19 again, send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. What else could the Lord do? Time after time, he gives you advance warning, and here, man and beast are going to be slaughtered. Because man is wicked, what else can the Lord do? But like I said, from the beginning of this message, we see a lot of people on the streets, and we've spoken to young people over the years, not many animal rights people, a lot of those animal rights people are very militant. In fact, I remember when I was growing up opposite my house, there was a family, a very middle-class family, and the father of that family had a job. And his job was to test. His job was to experiment on animals. Now, at the time, we didn't know that. That wasn't so well known. And what later became apparent was the fact that he was working at a very infamous place, which I shan't name, and he was part of a team, like I say, that would test animals, do experiments on animals. And he became known, shall we say, to the animal rights movement, so much so that they were very interested in finding where he lived. And he knew this. And what he would do every night, he would leave his place of employment, drive home, he'd park his van a block away from his home, and walk, not very far, walk maybe five, six, seven, eight, maybe ten minutes max, to his front door because he knew that if he parked his vehicle outside his home the animal rights people would track him down and firebomb his house they're terrorists and as a result he had three children 
a wife. He wanted to protect his family. Now, I'm not justifying what he did. I'm simply taking the time to explain that two wrongs don't make a right. I'm not in agreement with what he did, doing experiments on animals, uh, injecting diseases into animals. And he did that, and he knew the, uh, the risks of that, and he was so aware of it. Like I say, he would park his vehicle away. But had they known that, had the animal rights people known that, they would have firebombed his home, and they would say what the Jesuits say, how the ends justify the means. But these young people are very much torn. What do we do? We love animals. We don't want to eat animals. We are going to become vegetarians or vegans. And as a result, they turn that into a religion. And they get involved with witchcraft, wicca. They put spells on people. Not all, of course. Not all, obviously. But a good number of these people that I see on the streets around the Northwest and around the UK are very violent people. And if you cross them, if you speak to them, they can turn very nasty. It wasn't very long ago. We were doing some work in town. A Patrick speaking to a group in town. And we got into a conversation with them. And it was okay. But there was the edge there. There was a bit of an edge from one of the gentlemen, mainly women, like I say. But these people, like I say, are torn. And they are torn as to what to do. And uh, they turn, like I say, uh, veganism into religion. And that religion is Wicca, witchcraft. Of course, the other side of it is they become an atheist. And they worship atheism. But we must remember that the animals found in Exodus chapter 9 were being worshipped. You were told from the New Testament that food is to be received with thanksgiving and praise. There's no food limitations for the New Testament. If you are a meat eater, you won't go to hell. If you are a vegetarian, you won't go to heaven. Almighty God doesn't care what you eat. What he does care about is if you worship these animals, which is what the Egyptians were guilty of. And like I say, our friend came out to that movement, got saved, turned her back on Wicca, turned her back on veganism, turned her back on lesbianism, and got born again. And the last I heard, she was a very happy, saved, vegetarian, worshipping the Lord and doing great things for the Lord. So we will close it there in verse uh, 19. And the similarities will continue. Moses, Messiah, and Antichrist, Pharaoh. And this will lead up, of course, to yet another crescendo, a mighty clash of the wheels. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, and let's begin this live Lord's Day service, if we may, in verse 20. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. Jump over to Acts chapter 17. You're either saved or unsaved. You are either for the Lord or against the Lord. Acts chapter 17, a good scripture to go with this. Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, look at verse 32, please. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Go back to Exodus chapter 9. So nothing new under the sun, as Solomon would say. And for the most part, the gospel is an offense. For the most part, the gospel is somewhat of a joke. For the most part, the thought of someone dying in your place goes right over one's head. But of course, that someone is the Saviour. And if you sin against the Saviour, only the Saviour can forgive you. He that feared the word of the Lord, the audible word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, 
made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses, which would suggest some did believe. In the Pauline epistles, he mentions those from Herod's household that were saved, and clearly they would believe in the word of the Lord and on the living word of the Lord, the word of God being Jesus Christ, of course. 21, and he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. So two groups of people, sheep, goats, wheat, chaff, saved, unsaved, heaven, hell. It's as black and white as that, and yet tragically, even that goes over the heads of most people. Look at verse 22, please. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man, and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field, throughout the land of Egypt. So the Lord is first and foremost going to attack man, then animal, then the land. And that threefold strike, that threefold attack, would cripple anyone. But go back to 2021, he's given man, he's given Pharaoh and his lieutenants and the people in general time to repent. Almighty God would wait a long time until he would flood the world back in the days of Noah. He would wait a long time until he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. And the Lord Jesus Christ would preach for three and a half years. During that time, people would spit in his face, mock him, cuss him, blaspheme him ridicule him, try to undermine him. And time after time, he would say to his apostles how the Son of Man didn't come to destroy people's lives, but to save their lives. And here the Lord is going to, via Moses, of course, attack, afflict the people, the animals, and also the land. Look at verse 23. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. I would suggest this, that verse 23 is in reference to electricity. If you think of the scripture from the Gospel of Luke, when the Lord Jesus Christ said how he would behold Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And here Moses stretched forth his rod, like a lightning rod to some extent. But of course not a lightning rod. It is of course a staff or a staff. But here I'm going to suggest in a loose way if I may that this rod like a lightning rod is heading towards heaven far north and the Lord sent thunder and hail and the fire ran along upon the ground like lightning as I say and the Lord triune God rained hail upon the land of Egypt so he will choose himself messengers like I say to do his bidding but go back to Noah he didn't need anyone to help him out he would flood the entire world, go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, he wouldn't need anyone to do his bidding. He would destroy, like I say, the areas in and around Sodom and Gomorrah all by himself. And go back to the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would do that all by himself because this is the Lord's world. But here, twenty-two, twenty-three is building up once again for the judgment of the Lord. And once the Lord starts to judge the world, there's almost no way back. If you think of the book of Revelation from memory, I think from chapter 15 or chapter 16 onwards, nobody gets saved. The two witnesses have been removed. The 144,000 have been removed. The church was removed from chapter 4. And from chapter 15 onwards, like I say, nobody is being saved. It's judgment after judgment. It's plague after plague. It is the anger, the day of the Lord. And that's the truth of the matter. Look at verse 24, please. 
So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. If you were to say to Pharaoh back in the day that one day a group of Hebrews, a group of Israelites would, number one, dare to speak up, number two, would be given hope by their God, Jehovah. In fact, verse 16 from this wonderful chapter says how Almighty God will make his name known, declared throughout the entire world. And of course, the name of the Lord is Jehovah, Old Testament, Jesus for the New Testament. And if you were to say to Pharaoh back in the day how one day the Jews would rise up, challenge the grip, because Pharaoh had this awful grip, this almighty grip over the people of Israel, much like Satan has an awful grip over unsaved people, he would have just laughed in your face. But bit by bit, slowly but surely, Jehovah is moving. And as he is preparing to move, he is also preparing a people. 25. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. If you think about Vietnam, if you think about Pol Pot, or Cambodia to be precise, let me just correct myself. If you think of Cambodia during the time of Pol Pot, he would be raised in France. He would be raised in a Catholic Jesuit school. He was brutal. He's one of the most forgotten monsters of the 20th century. We always speak about Stalin, Lenin, and Hitler, and also Chairman Mao, but sometimes we overlook Pol Pot. He killed millions of people. And he put his country back into the Stone Age, literally. And when it went back to year zero, people were struggling. And I watched a movie some years ago called The Killing Fields. You can find it online. It's a very powerful movie. It's a true story about what took place in Cambodia back in the 1970s. Not 700 years ago, 40 years ago. And during the 1970s, millions, not thousands, millions of people in Cambodia were being slaughtered like animals, and that went on for a period of time. And Pol Pot was probably the most wicked man post-Stalin, and he was a Darwinist. You see, if you are a Darwinist, there's no such thing as morals or principles. It's all subjective, a bit like Southern Ireland, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But here, the Lord is about to destroy a nation, and in a roundabout way, he would do the same in Cambodia, because what do they say? You get the governments that you deserve. And if people vote in or if a strong man like Pol Pot takes over a nation and starts to cripple it, or if you think of any country in the world over the last five, six hundred years that expelled Jews, the nation always suffers. They call it a brain drain. If you think of uh, Idi Amin, he would kick out Jews, he would kick out Asians. He would punish people left, right and centre. And by the time of his death in Saudi Arabia, 2006... His country was a third world country. Six wives. Six wives, following the teachings of Muhammad, of course. But here, 25 animal, mankind, and the ground is being struck by the Lord because this is the Lord's world. Yes, he will delegate at times the deeds of the world to the devil. But this is the Lord's world. The Lord is sovereign. Look at 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail? So the Lord would not only save himself a people, Old Testament Israel, New Testament the church, but for the Old Testament he would preserve his people, for the New Testament he will preserve the church. From John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus Christ would say how the Father and I are one. And he would say from the book of Isaiah how 
the Lord would have Israel in his hand. And also John chapter 10, how the Lord has the church in his hand. And we call that double security. And here 26, the Lord is making it very clear how his people are being preserved. A bit like during the tribulation, when the plagues and the pestilences and the attacks from heaven and also the mark of the beast, which comes via the Antichrist, will afflict so many people. Tens of millions, maybe billions, and yet a tiny minority of believing Hebrews and also Gentiles are going to be preserved, kept safe. But for today, I would suggest this, that 926, if you wanted to cross-reference that, you would do so from Romans 8, 28 and beyond. Look at 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Could you imagine the Irish shock saying that? I watched the news last night and I watched the results coming through concerning Ireland's shameful referendum as to whether or not to allow women to murder their babies in their wombs. And I watched the press outside Dublin Castle and I saw uh, the Irish cabinet arrive almost like pop stars. People are clapping, cheering, dancing. And the Irish prime minister, a practicing homosexual, Catholic by birth, came on stage, got a pop star's reception. People thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. All of his cabinet colleagues were saying, we have won. And I thought, isn't it interesting? The majority that voted yes, 66%. Count the sixes. Mm -hmm. 66% said, yes, we want to allow our uh, doctors or our nurses to murder our babies if we want to abort them. And because the Irish government needed an alibi, they went to the country and the country and state colluded to make this possible. And now if you are a woman in Southern Ireland and you fall pregnant, you can go to your local doctor in Southern Ireland, be referred to your local hospital where your doctors will murder your babies. And they would do so with the help of their nurses. And this September, the Pope is due to visit Southern Ireland. He won't say a word about this. I'll tell you something. It wasn't long ago that you could be excommunicated for far less. Far less than voting for an abortion. If the Pope wanted to. If he wanted to, he could come out this morning. Around this time, every Sunday in Vatican Square. The Pope addresses the people. Vicariously the world. And if he wanted to. He could come out this morning and say, as of now, I am going to excommunicate the Irish cabinets. I am disgusted at what has taken place. And I'm going to uh, anathematize such and such. And he could name people. He won't, of course. And yet the Apostle Paul said that if you sin, you are to be shamed in public. You are to be named in public. But you won't hear the Irish tea shock referred to as the Prime Minister, coming out and saying how I... And my people are wicked. And what took place yesterday, if you didn't notice it, would be the entire nation, like 66% of the majority of the nation of Ireland, rejecting Almighty God and doing so due to being indoctrinated by Catholicism, being brainwashed by Catholicism, witnessing the hypocrisy from within Catholicism. And as a result, they come from one extreme to another. 28 again. Entreat the Lord. Intercede the Lord. Intercede between myself and the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. So like I say, you won't expect the Irish Prime Minister and his cabinet 
and his country to come out and say this. You won't expect or don't expect the Pope to come out and anathematize the Irish people because Ireland is a Catholic country. You won't hear anything from the cardinals or the bishops in Ireland about what took place yesterday because at the point of no return, and every person has a point of no return, there's no going back. Allow me to say this as well, if I may, that May is the month of Mary. And I would have thought this, or maybe you would have thought this, that all of the faithful Catholics, not only in Ireland, but around the world, I mean the old-style Catholics, not the modern Catholics, but the old-style Catholics who believe what they are taught, you would have thought this, surely, that Catholics all over the world would have been praying to Mary, fasting, and beseeching Mary to block yesterday's referendum. And you would have thought that Mary, good old Mary, the so-called infallible or powerful Queen of Heaven, would have interceded, stepped in and stopped it. Of course she can't. She never has done. In fact, when was the last time a Catholic ever had their prayers answered? When was the last time a Pope ever had his prayers answered? Popes have been praying for world peace as long as I can remember. And yet, as of now, there are over 50 Wars, conflicts, battles going on around the world. Isn't that interesting? Priests, popes, nuns are praying. Old-style Catholics are praying. And yet, surprise, surprise, the Lord isn't hearing their prayers. And he isn't answering their prayers. 28. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail. And I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. Never had any intention, of course of allowing the Israelites to leave. He knew a good thing when he saw it. Never bite the hand that feeds you. If the Pope was to come out, or if the senior cardinal of Southern Ireland was to come out and anathematize the Irish cabinet, the people of Ireland, they would just laugh in the face of the Church of Rome. Don't you know that the Catholic Church has no more power, grip over people? Don't you remember how Paul VI was humiliated back in 1968 when he said that contraception was out? And when he said that contraception was out, they laughed in his face. And the popes, many popes over the years, have shot themselves in the feet. And what else do you expect? When my parents were growing up, they were taught that only Catholics go to heaven. Now the Catholic Church teaches that everybody goes to heaven. And this current pope, this Jesuit stooge to some extent, has gone on record and said that hell doesn't exist. I mean, what do you expect people to do with that? If you are a young Catholic, boy or girl, growing up in Southern Ireland... And you've watched your grandparents going to Mass every year, or every week I should say, and your parents going to Mass every Sunday and maybe twice or three times a week. And over weeks, months, years, your beloved church turns away from you, betrays you, teaches that Muslims are good to go, Jews and atheists and Buddhists are good to go. What do you expect is going to happen? People are going to rebel. People are going to turn from the Catholic Church. And that's what took place yesterday. What took place yesterday wasn't just a nation voting to make murder legal. And I don't mean capital punishment. I mean murdering the unborn baby. What took place yesterday was a nation, 66%, again, count the numbers, rejecting Almighty God. Not just their false church, but they have rejected Almighty God. They have rejected basic principles and basic morals because they have been betrayed by their false church. And the Lord will hold such a church accountable. Verse 29, please. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. Wouldn't it have been amazing had somebody stepped forward over the last 24 hours or so, 
a well-known or somebody of uh, substance and made the case that, number one, the Lord is alive, number two, that the earth is the Lord's, uh, and number three, that the consequences are going to be terrible. Up until now, if a woman falls pregnant in Southern Ireland, she comes to the UK, where the taxpayer will pay for her abortion. As of this morning, there's now calls for the Prime Minister, Theresa May, to allow women in Northern Ireland to have an abortion. Of course, Northern Ireland isn't directly run or controlled by London. They have devolution. But she could, if she wanted to, put the pressure on political leaders in Northern Ireland, most of which would be in favour of abortion. So now what you're going to see in the short term are women going from Northern Ireland over to Southern Ireland to murder their babies. The state will pay for that. They won't be coming to the UK anymore, which is one good thing, of course. But shamefully, for the last several decades, women from Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, have got on a boat or on a plane, have come to the UK, where British doctors and nurses have colluded and conspired to murder their babies. And now, if you think of Southern Ireland, still very much a Catholic country, the state will give a license, the state will allow Catholic doctors, Catholic nurses to murder babies in the womb. And that will now become not only legal, but so-called or justifiably correct. Let me say this very quickly. You may say this to me. You may say, well, the people have spoken, James. Democracy has been done. You may say to me that morality is subjective. Well, let me say this to you as a quick footnote. And I'll get back to this in a few moments. Let's just say for argument's sake that when the people speak, like 66%, when they speak that they are correct, that what they have voted for is legitimate. Let's say that the majority are correct, just for one moment. I don't believe that, but just for argument's sake, let us uh, agree on that one point. If that's the case, then would you say this, that in 1933, when Adolf Hitler went to the people in Germany, when he went to the country in Germany, and I assume you know that he was voted in, he didn't seize power like Pol Pot. He was voted in, and when he went to the German people, at that time, the most advanced people in Europe, not some third world backward state but the most advanced people in Europe they voted for him and they knew who he was they knew what he wanted to do Mein Kampf had been out for around 10 years and he was always making the case whenever he could what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do what he wanted to do they voted for him so let me ask you the question if the majority of people in Germany in 1933 voted for him I guess they must have been right but of course you wouldn't agree to that would you you see it's very difficult eight years later looking back and saying that what took place in 1933 was correct. And yet you'll use that same argument for what took place in 2018. You will argue that what took place in Ireland yesterday was correct because the majority of people voted for it. But use that same argument for 1933. And you see it falls flat on its face. The majority have never been right. Just because 66% voted to allow the state to abort children doesn't make it right. Just because the majority of Germans voted for Hitler, more than 66%, incidentally, back in 1933, doesn't make it right. And of course, bloodshed would follow Hitler, misery, I think by 1945, 20 million people had been murdered, directly and indirectly, as a result of good old German democracy. And here we are, 2018, 66% of the Irish people have voted for maybe 20 million murders in the next 15, 20, 30 years, who knows. I can tell you this, that... From 1969, right up until the last couple of years, the figure has been suggested that 6 million babies 
have been murdered in Britain since David Steele drafted the legislation. The Queen didn't stop it. She could have blocked it had she wanted to. Sometimes we forget that in the UK. Sometimes we blame corrupt governments, whether left or right. But sometimes we let the Queen off the hook. She's still the head of state. If she wanted to, she could say no. She could follow her colleague in Belgium back in the 1970s who said, no, I won't sign this into law, King Bodeman. And that put the Belgium government into a real spin. And they had to wait, and they had to wait, and they had to wait for his death. And then his son replaced him a liberal, and of course it was signed into law. Look at verse uh, 30. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that you are not yet fear the Lord God. And of course, Pharaoh didn't fear the Lord God. He thought he was God. The Pope thinks he is God. Most religious leaders think they are God. I'm sure the Irish people think they are God now. They were dancing on the streets of Dublin last night. Dublin Castle. I saw the news. Don't kid me. I saw the news. They were dancing. They were rejoicing. And you would have thought that the entire nation had just won the lottery. What took place last night is earth shattering. Southern Ireland was the last main country in Europe to say no to abortion, to stand against uh, abortion. Now they have capitulated, and now it falls to Northern Ireland, who, as far as I'm aware, are still officially against same-sex marriage and abortion. But that will change. That will change over time. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that you are not yet fear the Lord God. And that's what, it all, that's what it's all about. It's about fearing the Lord. It's about loving the Lord. And I've already shown you from previous Sundays how Pharaoh was very much into birth control. Pharaoh would give the orders to murder the baby boys in the sea. Pharaoh would have been pro-abortion. And other leaders over the years have been pro-abortion. And here the servants and also Pharaoh were not yet ready to fear the Lord God. They weren't yet ready to bow the knee. 31. And the flax and the barley were smitten. For the barley was in the ear, and the flax was bold. But the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. So again, if you want to cripple a country, just take out their agriculture. Destroy their lands, their famines. Go back to Cambodia, if you want to learn about that awful period. Get your hands on the killing fields. And in that awful movie which came out in the early 1980s, you had people eating animals. Not just in a normal sense, but literally eating animals while they were still alive. Which goes back to my statements concerning the animal rights people. And those people, for the most part, are young women. They have rejected principles, morality. They are now atheists, for the most part. Lesbians, to some extent. Also, some will dabble with Wicca, with uh, witchcraft. And they have turned from the Lord. And Romans chapter 1 says that when you turn from the Lord, not only will he turn from you, but you will start to decline. And those young women are now worshipping animals, almost a bit like Pharaoh. And I gave you the account last Sunday of a neighbor in my street who I learnt some years later was responsible for testing animals, experimenting on animals. And what he did was wrong. What the animal rights people are doing now is wrong. They would firebomb his home had they known that is wrong. What he was doing is wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Just because the state of Ireland has allowed the people to vote in yesterday's referendum doesn't make it right. And I gave you the count also uh, from last Sunday of that church, Calvinist church in Blackburn, which would witness an awful split. And if that wasn't bad enough, 
as a result of that awful split, one of the leaders in that church had a heart attack due to the shock, due to the destruction, due to the meltdown of his beloved church. And I may suggest this, that it could be that he was worshipping his church. A lot of Catholics worship their church. And like I say, he dropped down dead of a heart attack. And his wife was so distraught, so devastated by the death of her husband, the sudden death of her husband, that she starved to death. This is the catastrophe of, if you will, being a part of a false system. But like I say, 32 and 33 are dealing with the collapse of a nation. And yet, even saying that, the Lord isn't going to just jump all over the place, if you will. He won't just destroy a country straight away. He wants Pharaoh, number one, to repent. He wants the people to repent. His servants, from verse 30, to repent. And number three, he wants to increase the faith of Moses. I am convinced that Moses was pretty much in shock and in awe as to what was going on. I would think that the same would be true of Peter during Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira were caught lying, and the Lord just cut them both down. I'm pretty sure that that shocked the apostle Peter. Moses was an ordinary man, Peter was an ordinary man, and the Lord is working through them. So don't worship these people, don't worship the Pope. 33, and Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. That's power. Not only would Moses tell Pharaoh what was about to take place, and I wish somebody had done that in Ireland over the last week, but once he had warned Pharaoh what would take place, it took place. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more, and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And that takes place every day of the week, not just concerning wicked reprobate devil possessed governments and leaders and by the way you're meant to pray for those people i know it's pretty difficult isn't it but you are meant to pray for those people and it could just be it could be that had people in ireland been praying for their governments over the last 12 months that this bill could have been blocked or that the majority could have had their minds changed or the or the minority could have won the day of course it didn't happen 35 on our clothes and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So, if you think of uh, Romans chapter 1, it speaks about men and women turning from God. And once they turn from God, God turns from them. Ephesians chapter 4. And that's what I think took place in Ireland this past weekend. It didn't just begin overnight. It has been building for probably decades going back to like i say the collapse of the catholic church catholics waking up catholics becoming disgruntled catholics becoming atheist catholics embracing the science religion catholics throwing out morality principles becoming their own gods and as a result like i say it's now legal to murder the unborn infants children in the wombs of the mothers here's a final thought for you if you take the view that it's not a baby, it's a fetus, why do you therefore expect, or why will you ask for a Christian funeral? If it's not a baby, if it's just a fetus, why are you requesting a religious service to bury your baby? Obviously it is a baby. It's made in the image of God. It is living. It is breathing. 
And if you see any 3D image, you can see just how much that child is alive and kicking. And yet, tragically, like I say, the state or Southern Ireland as a country now says it's okay. And they are following the lead of Pharaoh, who, like I say, thought it was quite a right to abort babies, young boys especially, because they would be a threat to uh, Pharaoh. And the Lord would take Pharaoh. Uh, first of all, he would kill Pharaoh's firstborn, and then he would take Pharaoh and put him into the sea. So from verse 26, the name of the Lord is Jehovah. I've already told you that. Verse 29 speaks about how God will delegate to the devil at times when it suits him. And yet never forget that this is the Lord's world. And also verse 11, in a sense, is the mark of the beast, but in reverse. The plagues, the pestilences. And if you take the mark of the beast during the tribulation, you have condemned yourself to everlasting hell. And there's no way out. So one last time, two wrongs don't make a right. Just because the Irish people and the cabinet colluded, conspired to make yesterday come to pass, doesn't make it right. Just because the majority of people in Germany back in 33 voted and conspired and colluded together with Hitler and the Third Reich to do what they did and to bring in the final solution doesn't make it right. The majority have never been right. And if you really want further proof of that, read Acts chapter 1 sometime. Acts chapter 1, it says how there were 120,000 people in the upper room. No, 120 people. 120 people. And one statistic, one figure that I read years ago said that every year when people went up to the temple on the day of Pentecost to worship the Lord, around a million people traveled from the entire world, more across the world. To worship Jehovah. And out of a million people. First of all you got 120 people. Acts 2. Acts 3. Acts 4. Acts 5. I think at most you got 8,000 people. And that's why the Lord would say how the road to hell is broad. And the gate, the entrance to heaven is narrow. You would hear nothing from the Pope of Rome this coming September. He could cancel his visit. If he wanted to. To really shame the Irish people. but uh, But he won't of course. He could excommunicate the government, but he won't, of course. He could excommunicate the people. He could say to his prelates and bishops, don't give them communion, which, of course, as you know, would result in their loss of salvation because a Catholic can't go to heaven without receiving communion. But he won't, of course. And I'll tell you something. The Catholic Church have cut people off for far less. I caught a guy in the news last night. He was being asked about the Pope's visit this September And he was obviously very pro this result. And he said, well, I see Pope Francis as a modernizer, very much into social justice. And I think he's very much on our side. And he's spoken about the homeless and he's spoken about the poor people. And he's spoken about this group and that group. And I thought, yes, that's how they see the Pope now. They don't see him as some old style Pius XII who would have got the uh, the stick out or got the whip out. They don't see him like that. They see him as their buddy. They see him as their friend, if you will, who isn't going to give them a hard time. And because they don't see him as a serious contender, as a true man of God, which of course he is not, they don't see this as any big deal. The government say it's okay. The Church of Rome, or the Church of Rome and the Church in Ireland say it's okay. The governments are really humanists, if the truth were known. Born and baptized Catholic, of course. They say it's okay. And some of those hypocrites will be in church this morning. Some of those people are going to be in masses or go to mass this morning and no priest will stop them coming in 
there'll be no refusal of communion. And some of those people may even be members of evangelical churches, free churches. And they too, I would suggest, won't be prohibited from entering their church. But in the context from Exodus chapter 9, it's really a battle between good and evil, those that were pro the Lord versus those that were against the Lord. And these 35 verses are going to show you and make it very clear to you that once the Lord has spoken to Moses, Moses would speak to Pharaoh and vicariously the nation. And they had one or two options, turn or burn. And they would decide to throw the lot in with Pharaoh and would burn. And that took place yesterday. The majority of the people of Ireland threw the lot in with the governments and they too are going to burn.